Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2,155. Be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah! Today I'm in Gaffney, South Carolina, with a very special guest by the name of Mike Hembury. Mike, welcome to Cars Yeah! Do you have any gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? I am ready, sir. Let's do it. All right, we'll have some fun. Now, before we get into your life and this very cool book that you've written, and your good buddy Al Pierce was on the show yesterday... He shared this with me, but I'd love you to share one with me. What's one little thing that most people might not know about you, Mike? Well, I've been um, a sports writer most of my career, but there were a few years sort of in the middle there where I uh, wandered away from sports and did some news coverage. And one of the really one of the really cool things I got to cover was the launch of the first space shuttle in 1981. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah, that was neat. It was... Uh, uh, it was a fun, fun few days there in Florida. I'm not sure how many people remember, but the, the launch was originally scheduled one day, then it was postponed because of some computer issues. So we were in town a couple more days than normal, and but seeing the first one go up from, from so close from the media uh, vantage point there was just incredible. The, the power and, and noise and all that was, was kind of shocking in a way. Uh, I'd seen a lot of those rockets go up, obviously, on TV, but... To be there so close was was a pretty remarkable sight. Well, you may have just answered my next question because I'm a little jealous you got to be there and see that in person. It must be spectacular. But was that the thing, those rockets and the power that struck you most as something you didn't quite expect? Yeah, yeah. I, I was not prepared at all for the just the, the raw power of it. And I guess other than obviously some of the technical people, we were closer than anybody to the, the actual pad, and, and and we weren't really that close. But it kind of startled me how how much you could just feel the power when the thing went up. It was, uh, it was very impressive. If you ever have a chance to be at, at the Cape uh, when, when any of those rockets go up, it's, it's well worth the trip just to experience it in person. I got to think it's a little bit like being at a NASCAR race and the first time all those cars come around in a pack. And if you're lucky enough to be sitting down close to the track, it kind of just sucks your breath away. <laughs> yes. Yes. Very loud. Uh, the first first time I did that was at uh, Atlanta Motor Speedway. And yeah, I had I had no clue from watching on TV, the noise level, the, the how the decibels ratchet up. Yeah, they're so much in, in, in one big swoop, and and then all of a sudden they're gone, and you know they come back <laughs> yeah. thirty seconds later, and they and they do it again for, yeah. for a couple of hundred laps or so. So yeah, it's incredible. We're going to take a short break for our sponsors, and we come back. We'll continue with your story. So sit tight. Summer is here, and that means long, hot days. Oh, boy. Covercraft's UVS custom sunscreens are quality-made and are incredibly fast and easy to use. Your UVS sunscreen is custom-tailored for your vehicle, and their accordion design ensures easy storage. Not only do they protect your dash and interior for maximum protection while parking in the sun, sunscreens keep your vehicle's interior significantly cooler. They are durable. They're dependable for years of use. I have one for all my vehicles. Every time I park my car, 
My Covercraft sunscreen goes up in the window. You can choose from a variety of colors, including the original, Premier Series, and Carhartt designs. Your sunscreen is manufactured with the quality and attention to detail that's been the standard for Covercraft since 1965. And they make a really great gift as well. Get your summer deal today. Use the code YEAH21, Y-E-A-H-21, at Covercraft.com, and you'll get 10% off your Covercraft order. That's right, 10% off. Use the code YEAH21 at checkout. Covercraft, protecting the things that move you. I was talking with a buddy of mine the other day and he asked me about American Collectors Insurance. He said, while I listen to you on Cars Yeah, you're always talking about agreed value collector car insurance. Well, I insure all my cars on my regular auto insurance policy and I've done it for years. Why use a different company for my collector cars? I get a multi-car discount. Isn't that good enough? I suggested he call his carrier and ask how much he would get if his collector car was totaled are stolen. He called back and said, boy, that was a scary conversation. Their value of my car wasn't even close to what it's really worth. Thank you for the education, Mark. So don't just hope for a fair claim settlement. Be certain and know exactly what you receive with an agreed value policy. American Collectors Insurance has been protecting enthusiasts since 1976. Give them a call today for your personal agreed value quote at 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866 866- 224-9324. Tell them you're a friend of Mark Green's at Cars Yeah. American Collectors Insurance, classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors, automotive enthusiasts just like you and me. That's American Collectors Insurance. Well, let me give you a proper introduction. Mike Hembry is an author who's written about auto racing for 50 years, and he has authored 14 books, including seven racing titles. Today, we'll be focusing on his latest book, which is titled 50 First Victories, NASCAR Drivers Breakthrough Wins. It's a book he co-authored with yesterday's guest, Al Pierce, and it's published by my friends at Octane Press. <laughs> they produce some wonderful books. Mike worked for NBC Sports, has also worked for USA Today, Auto Week, the Greenville News, the Columbia State, uh, the Speed Channel, and other publications and a website. His newspaper career also includes coverage for the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, the Olympics, and professional golf. And launching rockets into space, too. He is a seven-time winner of the National Motorsports Press Association Writer of the Year Award and has won the American Motorsports Media Award of excellence. We'll be back in just a moment, but first a word from our sponsors, so give them a little love. They're the reason we have a gas in our tank here, and we'll be right back. Buckle up. We're going to be talking about NASCAR. So, Mike, we are back. Now, before we get into this book, which I really like for a variety of reasons, I want to go way back in time. How did you get into the career path that you're in? Because when your buddy Al talked about this, it was a very unique way that he pretty much walked into a place, said, I need a job right after his uh, tour in Vietnam. And the guy said, well, can you start right now? And he said, yes. And he sat down. And 35 years later, I think he was in the same seat. So how did your career start in writing? Yeah, I can give you the short version. When I was in high school in the 11th grade in English, our uh, research paper topic had to be about a profession that we might have an interest in. And I had uh, my, my dad had always been a, been a newspaper buff. He read the paper every morning, first page to last, uh, including the comics. That kind of got me hooked on reading newspapers, too. And, and I gained an interest in possibly being a, a sports writer. So I thought I would do my research paper on that. And as part of that, we had to try to interview somebody in that profession. 
I sent a letter to the uh, local newspaper sports editor with uh, 10 or 12 questions, never really thinking he would respond. I, I thought he was a really busy guy. A few days later, I got an answer back with just voluminous responses to my questions. And at the end of the letter, he, he wrote, uh, we occasionally hire high school kids part-time to answer the phone and, and do various tasks around the sports department. Let me know if you might be interested. And I called him that day because, yes, I was interested and started working there in the 11th grade and the 12th grade. And uh, that was the beginning. It's a great golden nugget for young people listening or anybody listening. Just reach out to people. And these days, so many people really never reach out. I mean, a phone call, everything is done by email or text message, but reach out to somebody and express an interest. And I found that in the auto world, a lot of people are willing to help you get started. But a lot of people don't know that they wouldn't even have the wherewithal to do that. So that was pretty astute of you as a young person. Yeah, I was kind of shocked by the whole thing. Uh, I sort of had this guy as a as an unapproachable person. I read his columns every day, and he was sort of like my hero in, in that way when I was a kid. And to have him actually respond to me and, and then later uh, invite me up for an interview and, and to hire me was just an incredible moment. You know, you, you just kind of got to step out sometimes and take a chance, and, and that one worked. Absolutely. Very cool. And we're all glad that it did. So out of half of the books you've written, you have seven racing titles. Are you, would you consider yourself a car guy? Yes. You know, when I was in high school, I was, I was like most other boys of my age in that period. You know, we were all about cars, faster, the better and cooler looking, the better and what have you. And I was never much into auto racing. I kind of got into that later on, almost in a way by accident. Uh, yeah, always a car guy, impressed by the better designed cars, the faster cars. From from my earliest memories, my, my dad would, uh, when I was five or six, my dad would let me sit in his lap and, and steer the car, which mm, cool. wasn't necessarily smart, but it got me wanting to drive early. And I was, I was at the uh, driver's license department the day I turned uh, 16 to get my permit. So, yeah. Ready to go then. I did the same thing. I was the first guy in line. I think I was there for an hour. My mom goes, why are we here so early? Because I want to get this over with and do it. So yeah, maybe a different time, I think, for for those of us back in those days. Your book that you've uh, co-authored with Al Pierce, and again, listeners, 51st Victories, NASCAR Drivers, Breakthrough Wins. It reveals a very fun series of stories about people that we've all heard of that have been in racing forever. And we all kind of forget that they all had a start. And in some way, they broke through. And on the back cover, I'm going to just read this. Did you know that Richard Petty's first win was overturned due to a protest by his dad? I mean, whoever knew that? So as you and Al were researching this, how did you go about, first and foremost, deciding who you were going to write about and then who was, which of you was going to write about which guy? And then we'll get, I want to get into a little bit of some of the surprises you might have uncovered in putting this book together. Yeah, I guess we originally had a list of about 75 drivers. We met for a couple hours one day and, and just, you know, slowly removed them one by one. Some of, some of those were kind of painful. We, we just tried to pick out what we thought were the, the best stories, the most unique stories. Obviously, we had to have the drivers who had done really well. You couldn't leave any of those out. Uh, some of the drivers, obviously, are, are, um, had passed on, so we couldn't talk to them. 
did a lot of research into some of those guys and, and both Al and I had done some of that before over the years in writing, uh, about some of the old timers off and on. So we didn't really start with a blank page. We had a lot of, a lot of files, a lot of research, a lot of taped interviews and so forth that we had done over the years that enabled us to, to uh, get through the writing faster than if we had started just from, from lap one and lurched ahead from there. We had a, had, had a real good background and with most of these guys uh, at the start. So I want you to talk maybe about two, maybe three, if you'd like, of the drivers you spoke about and some of the really interesting things that you learned about them at the very beginning that probably surprised you a bit. Well, one of those would be uh, Benny Parsons, a uh, NASCAR Cup champion who um, who later became probably more famous as as a TV analyst on NBC, on, uh, on NASCAR broadcast. Benny was a, a sensational guy, really really good with the media when he was driving. He was good at explaining things that sports writers didn't understand about auto racing. I interviewed him numerous times over the years and played golf with him, been to dinner with him, you know, just sort of become uh, uh, an ongoing friend of his, I guess. But I didn't really know the story of his first win. And it's kind of funny how it occurred. Uh, It was on Mother's Day in 1971 at uh, Short Track, South Boston Speedway in Virginia. And because it was Mother's Day, Benny's family was not at the race. They, They stayed at home. So Benny wins the race, and he calls home to let everybody know, hey, I finally won one. And Benny had had sort of graduated to NASCAR racing from ARCA racing, where he had done really well. ARCA has its own qualities, but it's not at nearly the same level as the NASCAR Cup Series. So winning in Cup was much more important. So Benny calls home to tell the family, and they pass the phone to his younger son because he wanted to tell him in person. (laughs) So Benny explained that he had won, and his son's first question was, was Richard Petty there? Even at the age of four, he knew that Richard Petty in those days won practically at least every other week. So he, he sort of assumed if, if my dad had won, Richard must have been, not been there. But indeed, oh my gosh, <laughs> Richard was second. Yeah, Richard was second. Benny's uh, older son Keith told me that uh, his brother wanted Benny to before this happened wanted Benny to go back to Arca racing because he remembered. Benny winning so much and they they would go to victory lane and just have a big time and that didn't happen when he moved to NASCAR into the cup series so he kept begging his dad let's go back to ARCA let's go back to ARCA yeah <laughs> so so Benny got one for him on that mother's day that was that was one of the cooler stories i thought <laughs> well yeah those are the things you don't hear or you don't know about or you would never know about if you guys hadn't put this together of the group of drivers that you wrote about is there one that might have been somewhat of a um, a superstar in your mind, and you learned something about him that you didn't know that maybe kind of went, hmm, that, I would have never guessed that. I guess maybe Brad Keselowski might stand in that role. He uh, he won for the first time in, in 2009 at uh, Talladega Super Speedway. He had, had done pretty well sort of climbing the ladder toward the Cup Series, but hadn't been able to get a, a car good enough to win a race and um that day at talladega he was driving for uh for car owner james finch who who raced a lot but he really didn't didn't have a you know top line car um at talladega and daytona it's a little easier for underfunded teams to compete because of the draft at those tracks helps the slower cars 
keep up with the faster cars in most cases. And I'm sure NASCAR fans who are listening will remember, if they've been around that long, Keselowski winning that race. It was a tremendous finish. He he and Carl Edwards collided approaching the finish line, and uh, Edwards' car flew up into the into the catch fence between the track and the grandstand and fell back to the track as uh, Keselowski was crossing the finish line and winning the race. Some fans in the stands were, were injured uh, from some of the parts and pieces that flew up into the stands. But I had no clear idea uh, about Keselowski to that, up to that point that he would make that kind of move in that situation. He, he basically shoved Edwards out of the way at 200 miles an hour. He had it in his mind. I'm this, 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 this close yeah. to finally winning, finally winning a race. I'm just not going to turn away from it. And he just put his foot to the floor and, and, and essentially ran through uh, Edwards won the race. You could call what he did brave, or you could call it stupid, or, or you could call it outrageous. And people did call it all those things. But but he got him in the victory lane, and and he went on later to become a champion and uh, and uh, winning numerous races. And now he's for the first time a a car owner in the Cup Series. So that day kind of launched him on on that trip. You wonder in cases like that, when people make a bold move, whatever way you want to call it, that later other drivers go, don't, don't get in his way. He'll just run right through you. And if that helped them or not. But I think when you go to a NASCAR race and you see how fast 200 miles an hour plus is, it is scary, scary fast. It, it's not like TV. And when you make a move like that, going that fast, yeah, dire consequences. So holy cow. You know, I, I like to ask guests about what I call driving inspirations, people that are inspirational or mentors. I'm going to twist this up a little bit with you, Mike. Of the people that you wrote about in your book, is there one that could stand out as most inspirational or maybe even intriguing? Um, just off the top of my head, I would go with Mario Andretti. Okay. That uh, um, he didn't run too many NASCAR races. He was more... Uh, IndyCar, open wheel, Formula One guy, but he he could drive anything and win win in anything, um, and um, got involved in with with Ford Motor Company, and they set him up with a, a really good car for the uh, Daytona 500 in 1967, and um, went on to win that race and and somewhat of an upset. Mario remains to this day, now in his 80s, I guess. An inspiration to so many people in auto in in auto racing who drive and in other auto racing circles, uh, mechanic media people who drive another series and never even really met him. Just his the 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 depth and breadth of his career has just been astonishing at what he's been able to achieve, and he's done it largely being a really good guy. You know, I can pick up the phone and call call him today, and he'll more than likely call me back fairly quickly. And a lot of, a lot of big time global athletes like him, you, you just don't get that. I think one of the things that stands out for me with him is, and I always wondered this, if he planned this is how he did such a great job of marketing his name because everybody, people that have no clue about anything in racing know the name Mario Andretti, and they knew it back in the 60s, in the 70s, in the 80s, in the 90s. It was an ongoing phenomenon. I always wondered, and maybe you know the answer, did he 
was that part of his entire career plan? Because many drivers are not good at that. They're great at driving, but they're not good at promoting themselves. Yeah, I, I would be surprised if he had that thought in his mind uh, in the early years. But he certainly has traveled down that lane admirably since he became a winner. And, you know, he has such a, a cool background uh, uh, coming over with his family as a kid from Italy and uh, not knowing anything, any words in English ex- except maybe when. He probably, he probably knew that <laughs> word. Just started racing with his brother and beat up old, banged up old cars and, and made his way up. And, uh, you know, w- when you say his name, and I, I, I just thought about that, when, when you said it, Mario Andretti, it just kind of rolls off the tongue like he's uh, Italian royalty or, or, or somebody somebody who should be famous, you know, oh, I know. <laughs> and, and, and in fact, he did become famous uh, around the globe. Uh, so yeah, one of, one of the, one of the top people in motorsports and, and, and sports in general that I've run across in my career. Definitely. No How many police officers walked up to a guy that just pulled over for speeding and called him Mario? Uh, I think there's been a <laughs> lot, <laughs> there's been a lot of them. We'll take a short break for our sponsors and we'll be right back. You listeners know that I'm a huge car care fanatic, and my friends at AutoGeek created their Wolfgang Deep Gloss Paint Sealant for perfectionists like you and me. Wolfgang Deep Gloss Paint Sealant is designed to provide long-lasting protection and a glossy, slick finish that, well, it's unmatched. The use of polymer technology ensures your paint is protected from environmental contaminants, those damaging UV rays, and lasts up to three months long. By providing the glossy look of Carnuba Wax with the longevity of a synthetic formula, Wolfgang a Deep Gloss Paint Sealant is the best of both worlds. Go to autogeek.net to get yours for the best product selection on the internet today, along with their skilled technical support. Autogeek.net is where I go for all my detailing needs. That's autogeek.net. Jim Canova is a past guest here on Cars Yeah, and he's detailed over 8,000 vehicles. And that kind of professional experience leads to innovation. He was tired of uncomfortable stools and creepers and being down on his knees when detailing cars. So as a result, Jim thought, you know what, there must be a better way. And he invented the Bumby Seat. His unique design gets you off your knees and your bum onto a far more comfortable seating position for all your low-level automotive detailing. The Bumby Seat, with its patented full-flat design, allows you to adjust your position to the task at hand. Convenient side trays hold your car care products, tools, cloths, or a tasty beverage. Built for the toughest driveways and garage tasks, the Bumby Seat has wheels that roll easily over almost any surface, and it makes a great around-the-home adjustable stool for hobbies, yard work, or take it to the car show. The full-flat design makes storage a breeze. Jim has launched an Indiegogo fundraiser, and you can get in on the start of what's sure to be an industry favorite. Go to Indiegogo.com and type in Bumby Seat, that's B-U-M-B-E-E, Seat, to be one of the first in line to start improving your automotive detailing experience today. That's Bumby Seat on the Indiegogo.com website. A fun-folding mobile seat design. 
TechForce is a charity of choice here at Cars Yeah. Auto techs are in high demand, but the supply? It's critically short. For every one tech who graduates school, there's five jobs waiting for them. Said another way, four technician jobs go unfilled for every technician graduate. Lots of young people love cars, but don't know how to turn that passion into their careers. TechForce Foundation shows them through career exploration, technical education, and the workforce development solutions. Join Cars yeah in supporting TechForce Foundation and its mission to solve the technician shortage by donating at techforce.org today. I've discovered Linkage. It's a new quarterly publication and website that covers the automotive market, driving, restoring, collecting, and discovering your passion for motor vehicles. Linkage is about experiences, opinions, and values. Linkage is an actual informed, reasoned opinion based on first-hand experiences. A talented Linkage team covers the automotive world, the people who share your passion and mine, smart, considered, rational, and experienced opinions, ones you can learn from and grow. That includes our passion that drives auctions and the collector car market. So come with me and join us on this journey. And be sure to use the code CARSYEAH when you subscribe and they'll give you $10 off. Boom! Linkage, geared for the automotive life. Subscribe today at LinkageMag.com. So Mike, I like to ask guests about challenges they faced in life, failures, obstacles. Let's relate this to your book. What was one of the biggest challenges you faced in writing this book? I guess it's sort of what we talked about earlier. It's it's not figuring out what to put in, but what to leave out. You know, we left we left out some drivers. We uh, uh, we were kind of limited per chapter in what we could write about each driver. So we we left out um, some good stories about you know particularly about some of the big names: Richard Petty, Dale Earnhardt, uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr., Jimmy Johnson. These guys have so many good stories, and and almost all of their stories start from them having uh, almost nothing. Uh, it's not to say that all these guys were dirt poor, but a lot of them came from backgrounds, not necessarily of, of what you would call poverty, but they certainly didn't have a, a lot of money to throw around. And uh, they just they made their way up through diligence and, and uh, taking, one, taking one win and taking 20 bucks from that win and buying a better part and winning a bigger race the next week. And two, a lot of them got into the sport because of family connections, uh, the Petties, the Pearsons, the Waltrips, the Allisons, you know, brothers racing against brother, fathers against sons. That whole family connection is, is very much at the core of uh, particularly stock car racing. Um, and and that's, that's revealed very much in this book because of the, the connections that, that continue down through the years with these families, it seems like each one of them, each family just produces another racer and, and they all have that kind of wild gene somewhere in there that they, they can't they can't not do it. So they go out and win too. They can't sit still. Well, that leads me to, I like to ask guests about a bucket list, things they want to do in the future. You've written so many books. You've been around for a while. Is there another book in your future you'd like to write? Well, when I did three or four, I thought that was going to be it, and uh, and things kept coming, <laughs> things kept coming up, and and, and ideas and uh, stuff I wanted to get down on paper, 
before I sort of wrote the last uh, paragraph. I'm not sure. I'm, well, I have another book that's going to come out in a year or two, which basically is done, but it, it's, it's not about sports at all. It's, it's about a uh, particular place in the uh, Great Smoky Mountains National Park in North Carolina and Tennessee. I've done several other books uh, sort of related to the outdoors and, and local history and so forth. So there might be one or one or two of those to go. I'm not sure. Don't really see another auto racing book out there, but I didn't see this one coming either, and it kind of <laughs> slid in the back door. So. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, we'll see where that goes. Well, I hope so. So I'd like to ask my guests about a special vehicle in their past. Could be a first car you bought or something you've had along the way, something that kind of stands out and brings a smile to your face. What was that ride for you? Well, I'm sitting here looking at a, at a uh, die-cast model of it, on my desk, it's a bright red 1965 Mustang, which I, yeah, I bought used in, uh, what year would that have been? 68, I guess. Doctored it all up, prettied it, prettied it up, put loud mufflers on it, of course. A little bit uh, afraid to admit that I drove it a little too rough and had to put a couple of clutches in it. <laughs> but it was a, it was a great car. I wish... Uh, you've heard this a thousand times. I wish I had it today. But at once, some point, I had to trade it in for a uh, a vehicle that was more family oriented, as as it were. Oh, we've all had to do that. Dang. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mustangs are so cool. I had a '66 Fastback that I bought from a friend, and he and dad, he and his dad, had made into a GT350 Shelby Mustang, white with blue stripes, and I drove that as a daily driver and. I mostly have driven German sports cars, but I tell you, that car garnered more smiles, more discussions at gas stations than any other car I've ever had. Everybody loves a Mustang. Yeah, there's something special about those cars, particularly in those in those early years. I think Ford got away over the years from what really made the Mustang special, and I understand why they made those changes. But you're right, those 1960s-era Mustangs were, were eye-catching and, and certainly conversation pieces. And uh, you, you just felt good driving them. Yeah, they were fun for sure. So I'm going to be your car psychologist here, Mike. Probably, well, maybe nobody's ever done this with you before, but I'm going to crawl into your head a little bit. I'd love for you to share what type of car you would be if you were reincarnated, pun intended. Not what you want to be, though. This is how you perceive the man in the mirror, who you are deep down inside. So what kind of vehicle would Mike Hembry be, but more importantly... Why? <laughs> well, I, w- I think I would go with another car that, uh, and, and I've, I don't have one of these now, but I've owned two of them over the years, uh, Mazda Miatas. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've had two of those cars, both green, both just wonderfully built vehicles, drove like tops. And I live uh, just a couple hours from the, from the mountains of the, of the Carolinas, so I took those cars up there frequently driving around those two-lane roads in the mountains and almost nothing more fun than how those little cars handle around those mountain curves and up and down those hills. Uh, just just incredible joy related to when I had those cars. <laughs> so I think I'd I think I'd like to be one of those. I guess I would have to learn how to speak how to speak Japanese, but and, <laughs> and that might be tough. But, yeah. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Miata for sure. Yeah, I, I think that's why so many people took those cars racing. So many SCCA guys race those cars, whole classes that race those cars. They just felt good. I drove 
worked with a guy years ago when the first one came out and he bought one. It was in blue. And he said, hey, you want to drive this thing? And yeah, okay. Oh my gosh. I mean, just where the shifter was, how it clicked. I really like that thing. So yeah, I think a lot of people did. Marvelous. <laughs> yeah. Very- yeah, just, just marvelous. I intend on another one someday. There you go. So I always ask my guests about a great book. Of course, the book we're talking about today, listeners, 50 First Victories, NASCAR Drivers Breakthrough Wins, a book that uh, Mike co-authored with Al Pierce, uh, published by our friends at Octane Press. Definitely we'll put that on the list. But you've written some other books. Is there another, maybe one other book that you wrote that you really proud of that you think listeners who haven't read it yet should get their hands on? Uh, I did a, a uh, coffee table type NASCAR history book some years back, which is, I think, still out there somewhere. It's called uh, NASCAR, the Definitive, Definitive History of America's Sport. A lot of research went into that one, and the uh, I don't want to overshadow the excellent writing in it, but the photography in it is just amazing. I'd recommend that one, and uh, also a shorter shorter book called 100 Things NASCAR Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. It's was, uh, was part of a series done by Triumph Books uh, some years back. It was uh, There were 100 Things Ohio State fans, 100 Things Green Bay Packer fans, etc., and they decided to do one on NASCAR, so I got involved in that. Yes, good good short read there. Uh, a lot of facts and figures in it. I'd recommend that one. Very cool. So I'm going to enable you to go on what I call the ultimate drive here. I do this for all my guests. I'll buy you any car in the world. Park it in your garage. Doesn't matter how much it costs. We got a big checkbook here. And you can go on a drive in this vehicle with anybody, even somebody who's deceased in this past that you could bring back. That part of this question brings some very interesting characters to light. So what does that uh, ultimate drive look like for a guy like you? I think I would go with a Lamborghini. Oh my gosh. Well, okay. You know. <laughs> as long as I'm as long as I'm paying, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. And uh, I'll be driving it, you know, I'm never going to have this chance again, so I'm not going to let anybody else drive it. And uh, my passenger may be a, a kind of strange choice, the writer uh Tom Wolf. Oh, who is, who yeah. passed away a few years ago. Yeah, my 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 all-time writer hero guy. Um, read all of his books at least twice and <laughs> actually had the chance to interview him once, which was uh, a, a kind of a highlight of my career, I guess. But always a lot of respect for him. I could uh, could ride around with him for a couple hours in this amazing car and, and uh, just have a great time listening to him talk. You know, interesting you mentioned him because way back, I grew up in Southern California. I was a surfer kid. And a friend of mine's dad was a member of the original Pump House Gang in Wind and Sea in La Jolla, where I grew up. And uh, Tom Wolf wrote a book, The Pump House Gang. And I remember that gentleman gave me a copy. I still have it. It's kind of an old tattered paper book. I think it came out in 66 or 7 or 8 or somewhere in the 60s there when I was a little kid and just starting to learn how to surf. In fact, that gentleman gave me a longboard, a Hanson longboard that was so heavy it took my friend and I both to carry it down to the beach and uh, surf on that <laughs> thing. But yeah, I, I think it's the same author, Tom Wolf, The Pump House Gang. Is that a book you remember yes. reading? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, okay. sounds right. Yeah, very cool. When you got to interview him, even cooler. Wow. Yeah, it was great. Great. Yeah. Very cool. Well, you've taken us on a fun ride today, and I want to thank you and your buddy Al for putting these books together. I, I've told friends this was a great book to have 
on your nightstand or next to your uh, favorite chair because you can open it and read two or three chapters and then come back to it again. It's a really fun read and I learned so much about ride, uh, drivers that I never even knew. Could you share with us maybe uh, some words of inspiration, a success quote or a mantra before I let you go today? I would say, uh, we talked about this a little earlier, just take the first step. You know, you even with, with stories that I find difficult to write, once you get past that first first part, the first sentence, the first paragraph, uh, you, you get the foundation to it, and, and it's not that not as hard from that point forward. So uh, take the first step out there and, and, and build on that, and typically you can move along. You know, I've had hundreds of authors, journalists, writers on this show, and so many of them have said very similar to the same thing, that if you want to write, you want to create, and this applies to everything, artwork, photography, gardening, whatever you like to do, wrenching, is just go out and start, take that first step. You said it more eloquently than I did. And then every day, just do another little step. Some days you might take more than one step. Some days you might not feel like doing it, but just go out and take another another step. Uh, it's great advice. And eventually, you'll be at the top of the mountain, as they say, right? And, and I think another thing to mention here, too, is uh, if you want to be a writer, if you want to just do a journal, you know, just for yourself, read as much as you can read. Uh, reading makes better writing. Sometimes a book or a paragraph or even even a short poem will will poem will inspire you in some way. Uh, so I, I, I tell classes I speak to this all the time. If you want to write, read. Absolutely. My son is writing his first book. Now, he works in IT tech. He's a UX writer, but he's writing his first book of fiction. And um, he reads like my wife reads and my daughter reads. They read just numerous books all the time. And he said the same thing. That's helped him a lot because he learns from different authors, different techniques and styles and ways of saying things. I think Still to this date, Hemingway is his favorite because he said that guy could say so much with so few words. Very true. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, even sure. found, I even found an app that you can use where you can write a paragraph and then you put it into the Hemingway app and it takes words out so that you can say the same thing with less words. Very, in- <laughs> <laughs> very, very interesting. Yeah. Sometimes uh, I wish I could speak that way. I tend to say too much, but uh, yeah, follow follow the lead. Mike, hey, thanks for being so generous today and taking some time out of your busy schedule to share this book with us. Again, listeners, 51st Victories, NASCAR's Driver's Breakthrough Wins, co-authored by his buddy Al Pierce, Mike Hambry, uh, Octane Press. I'll put links to that on Mike's show notes page. Get this for your automotive library. You'll be happy just like I am. Mike, thanks for being so generous today with your time and expertise and sharing a talk with me today. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you hopefully at the races down the road. Thank you, Mark. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.